Hi, welcome to the 12th episode of the Customer Support Podcast, and this is your host, Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders from customer support function from both B2B and B2C companies so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices around setting up a world-class support organization. Now, today's podcast is kind of unique because we have a true B2C support person uh, today as our guest, and her name is Brenda Guardado. Brenda has roughly four years of experience in customer support, and she currently has support at, I, I think most of you would already know this, it's a popular dating mobile app called Coffee Meets Bagel. Now, one of the unique things about them is that they have this kind of a slow dating approach instead of the, the quick swipe left or swipe right approach that most of us are aware of. Now, they are available internationally on both iOS and Android app stores. Prior to that, prior to Coffee and Meets Bagel, Brenda was at invoice to go and Lob, where she was in customer operations. And Brenda was also co-founder of a mobile app called Jagger. Now with that, I want to extend a very warm welcome to Brenda. Brenda, welcome to the show. Hi, Sandeep. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for, your, for being here. So let's get into this. Can you share your story from being a political science major to running support for one of the major dating apps out there? Can you tell us about your journey? Yeah, so um, let me go ahead and take this back to around a decade ago to where it all started. Um, it actually started with me wanting to head into a career around a county. So while I was at UCLA, I was actually pursuing this business degree where I was even a member of the accounting society there. And just uh, maybe a year into the major, after attending some networking events and learning more about the day-to-day -day activities of a accountant, I realized pretty quickly that this wasn't the career path that I wanted to head down. I didn't want the kind of same structured day-in, day-out activities that would come with this role. I wanted something a little more ambiguous with new challenges that would help me be able to work with customers one-on-one -on -one and empathize with them and kind of put myself in their shoes and build a product for what they wanted because ultimately I think as a business that's where you're headed. That's what drives these product ideas, building something for what the customer is actually looking for. So as I was in the middle of trying to figure out where I wanted to head with my career, I actually took a social entrepreneurship class at UCLA. And here I had a mentor that actually, that actually introduced me to my co-founder for a app that we created together that was originally called Dater. And what Dater did was it actually helped couples find first date ideas outside of the standard dinner or the drinks, coffee maybe, or movie to do something a little more exciting, something that they both enjoy that would help bring even more meaningful connections. And um, that was just something that we were really passionate about. And eventually we actually wanted to expand this to something greater for friends to be able to find activities they do based off of their preferences um, and experiences that were these 
four or five star experiences that they would really enjoy. So we pivoted to what was called Jagger. And Jagger was really great because we did have an algorithm that would take into account your personal preferences and um, whoever you were doing this activity with and try to kind of create an itinerary of activities for you to do. And um, I think this is just really, really great to where I am today with Coffee Meets Bagel. Kind of feels a little full circle because Dater was actually originally intended for couples that did meet on these dating apps to help them find great ideas to do in their area to help them eventually create this more deep connection, which is the goal of what Coffee Meets Bagel does. But instead of finding activities that helps connect with people that are aligned with you and are interested in these long-term relationships as well. Awesome. So that probably explains why why you are at Coffee Meets Bagel now. <laughs> awesome. And so uh, so that our audience understands the context of of your support better, could you give a sense of how many customers you have, or they're paid versus free, and how does that impact your your support? Like, what's your ticket volume, geographies, etc. Yeah, so Coffee Meets Bagel is available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. We are available internationally. We have huge markets in Asia. We obviously have a huge market in the U.S. And with that, we do have millions of users and we do have a large number of subscribers. And as a result, we get a few hundred support tickets a day. And these support tickets come through uh, various channels. These channels are email support as well as social media. So this includes Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, as well as the Google Play Store and App Store. I'd say around 80% of our ticket volume comes from email support, while 10% comes from social media support and the final 10% from the Google Play Store and App Store reviews. Understood. And uh, that's, that's kind of interesting because you have a, so when you talk about email, are people emailing you from within the app or do you think they are they're do, doing it offline on a browser? And maybe it doesn't matter, but I thought I was, I'll just ask you. Yeah, so um, because we are a mobile-only app, most of our email requests do come from within the app. We actually have our help center integrated into both versions of the app. And through there, we give our customers the opportunity to self-serve themselves by surfacing content that they might have based off of commonly asked questions that we've received as a support organization. And through that help center within the app, they also have the ability to submit support requests. And those support requests um, come into our team directly. And we also uh, have our website where users can interact with our help center through there and submit support requests. Got it. And could you also talk about paid versus free and how does it impact your support? Like are you supporting them? Yeah, so paid versus free, we, we support all of our customers that come in, whether you're a customer or not, whether you just heard about Coffee Meets Bagel and you have general questions, we will provide this six-star experience to whoever you are. But um, internally, we do have practices where we distinguish between uh, providing uh, support SLAs for those that are users that are subscribers and pay a premium to use our product versus those that um, are users that are uh, what we considered free users. 
Understood. And, and you mentioned that you get a few hundred support tickets on a daily basis. Can you share like the percentage split between paid and uh, the tickets filed from paid users versus free users? Yeah, so the split is we receive around 15% of our email ticket volume comes from our paid users. Got it. Got it. And uh, how's your organization structured to support this, uh, this volume of tickets? Yeah, we have a tiered support structure in our organization. Uh, this tiered support structure is made up of three levels where the first tier works on those single reply tickets that are uh, kind of low hanging fruits and uh, can really be answered and resolved with one response. And if tickets do require more of a technical analysis or additional back and forth, that's when those are escalated to our second tier. Sometimes this might uh, require working with our own internal team. So we um, escalate those. And then finally with our third tier, if those need even further assistance or if we believe that there is a larger technical issue, then we will escalate them there. Understood. Um, and how many people do you have in support, Brenda? So our support team is uh, around eight people, and we do have an in-house team as well as an outsource team. This outsource team is um, contracted through a third-party company, and they are spread throughout the U.S. as well as Sunbeam International. Understood. And this outsource support, does it cover all the tiers or is it just tier one? Uh, outsource support covers tier one and tier two, while our tier three is in-house. Understood. So, which means your outsource support also needs to have some deeper context about the app and the technology. Yes, absolutely. So all of our outsource uh, support team members actually do uh, have a specific version of the app where they have privy to new features that launch prior to the actual launch so they can make sure that they are educated on these features and they, if they have any questions then there is an opportunity for them to ask prior to launch to make sure that we do have all of the accurate information shared and any questions addressed proactively. Got it. And, and what's your uh, thoughts, Brenda, on like completely outsourcing this or completely having this in-house? I don't know, outsourcing definitely uh, helps on the cost-wise. And I, I assume that the complexity of mobile apps is, is, not, is not like matches the complexity of enterprise products. So any thoughts on like completely outsourcing versus completely insourcing? Um, so I, we currently have a blend of outsource versus in uh, in-house support today, which definitely works for us. I think with a B2C app, because the complexity isn't there that you typically might get from a B2B company that's more complex, outsourcing is a great solution. It does offer great benefit to the business and it is something that is scalable. It works really well for us because we're able to onboard new agents really quickly, especially if ticket volume suddenly goes up as a result of maybe an issue. We're able to have that dedicated team on standby to provide hours when needed. So that's really great for us. Unfortunately, that isn't always the case when you do have an in-house team. Um, it's, it's definitely much more limited in those regards, but it does it is beneficial to have someone, an agent in-house who can work with our uh, quality assurance team and, and also be another um, 
uh, advocate for the customer to help those um, in the company empathize with them further. So I think having a blend definitely works well for us. And I would recommend for any other B2C company to also consider outsourcing because there are other benefits such as time zones um, where you can have additional coverage as a result because we are an international platform that is available all over the world, um, being able to provide support in the time zone that's relevant to the user is really helpful because um, obviously we're able to get responses out quicker as a result. Got it. And uh, Brenda, you talked about agent onboarding. Do you use any special tools or software for that? Or is it just uh, like a bunch of documentation that, that they go through? Or, or is, is there a specific tool around it? Yeah, so with agent onboarding today, we do a lot of documentation. And with this documentation, we all store it in one central location. And uh, we hope to onboard our new agents within a few days. And there aren't any special tools we use today. If anything, we just store all of this in one resource uh, site and have our agents go through that. And with that, that does mean we have to continuously scrub this information and make sure that it's up to date and relevant um, as well. Got it. And, and the reason I was asking about agent onboarding is, and this is primarily an issue in once again, B2B companies where where the, the products are very complex. But the as you said, that information is changing fast. You want to test agents also around the, what they learned by reading a document. So I was wondering, I always ask this question about how do support leaders make sure that their agents are trained well? Like, are there special tools around there or is it just a Dropbox or a box link that you go to? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a great question, Sandeep. And it actually is one of our top challenges today, I'd say, making sure that our internal processes are efficient enough to um, for a new agent to come in and understand them and seamless so there um, isn't confusion around that and making sure that they understand the documentation that we're providing to them and that it is still relevant as well as um, when we have new initiatives that launch or new experiments, making sure that they are up to date on that and they have all the information they need to successfully support the customer. So this is definitely documenting and onboarding and just continuously training our agents is something that we are always working on improving. Got it. And do you get any phone support at all? <laughs> um, so we actually do not offer phone support today. And something else that we don't offer is chat support. But this is an avenue that we are actively looking into and potentially will integrate over the next six months. Because we, we hope by implementing something such as chat support that this will give these instant answers to the users that they are using, uh, looking for, especially when it comes to dating apps in particular, um, when users are going through the flow of using the product and accidentally come across an error or something isn't flowing correctly, they want immediate answers because this could be affecting their potential future dates. It could be affecting their love life. Um, it really does have a huge impact on how they perceive the product. So we want to make sure that we are being as proactive as possible with getting answers out quickly. And chat is a function that would allow us to do that. But we want to make sure that with chat, we're able to do it in such a manner that it is scalable and isn't... Um, really time intensive for our team. 
Understood. And when you talk about chat support, are you talking about live chat or a chat bot or, or a combination of both? Yeah. So when I talk about uh, chat support, I'm referring to live chat. And um, with live chat, obviously, too, there are limitations to that. We would be, uh, if we do offer this as a feature in the future, we would be limited to when we could offer live chat during what hours and how we would staff this appropriately. Um, we actually had a version of a chat bot in the past, and this chat bot for us, it was primarily used as an FAQ bot so users could interact with it, ask uh, questions, and be provided information, but we found that it, was, it wasn't answering all of the users' questions completely, and there were some inefficiencies with that, and as a result, we were actually getting um, a large number of support tickets still, as opposed to deflecting them. So we decided to um, migrate away from this chatbot, and this was prior to um, the implementation of a help center. So the help center essentially helped uh, accomplish the same that our chatbot was doing for our users by providing um, relevant answers to the questions that they were asking, but it was much more fleshed out where it had more detailed information and users could um, kind of explore it at their own place and whenever they wanted to at their time that was convenient for them. Understood. And uh, on a related point, you know, you talked about that the app is on Android and uh, Apple stores, but there are these other ancillary stores as well. Like I know Samsung has one. There's a lot of stores in, in China. A, the first question is, do you have the app on these other app stores? And B, how does this affect your ability to, to do support uh, requests coming from these users on, on these different app stores? Yeah, so we actually previously used to have the app under the Samsung Galaxy Store, and um, we had this for over a year, and um, what we found over time for more of our development team that it was actually really difficult to have feature parity and just product parity against the various apps across our different platforms, Google Play Store and the App Store. And the, the cons really outweighed the pros at a certain point where it was much more work to keep up with that for the uh, volume of users we were getting through there. So as a company, we decided to just focus our efforts solely on the Google Play Store app and the App Store app to make it the best that it could be and um, have that really as the two apps that we wanted to uh, have users be on a platform to support. Um, it, as a support team, when it came to supporting these various apps, we, uh, it requires us to have multiple devices on hand for our various team members so they could actually go through the same experience that our users were going through. No, you're right. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in, in maintaining not only different code bases for these different app stores, but also having the physical unit uh, in front of you so that you can actually test it. You know, I, I'm a mobile app developer myself, and I had issues even with Apple's different different models. So uh, that's a story for a different time. But but I get <laughs> I get what you're saying. Now changing gears a little bit, do you have a customer success team, or does it make sense to have it in a B two C context? And maybe it does, but. So currently at Coffee Meets Bagel, there is no customer success team. 
based off of my previous experiences, customer success team member roles have really been to ensure businesses become businesses that um, are using your product, maybe a B2B business, become successful with it. You typically have a single dedicated customer success manager who works with a limited amount of companies to address any account escalations, make sure that the business is getting the most that they can out of their out of your project. And you're really focused as a customer success manager on you know renewals and upsells and onboarding, which, which is different than I'd say the customer experience holistically. And um, there's, there's also much more complexity to a B2B product where it does make sense to have a dedicated customer success manager to answer any of those questions that you may have. With a B2C company, I don't think it would make sense for a Coffee Meets Bagel to go down this route in the future just because it isn't something that is scalable. Typically customer success managers work with a handful of companies and they are their dedicated rep. With the number of users that we have on our platform, we wouldn't be able to give them the full support that they would expect from a CSM. And that, that kind of makes sense actually because these B2B companies usually have customers probably like in thousands. Uh, B2C, we are talking about millions. So having a, a person support on an active basis, this large number of customers uh, probably doesn't make sense. Cool. Let's talk about your technology stack. So could you talk about what are the different tools that you're using in your support organization? Like what is what do you use for case management? You talked about your cases come from social media and email. So is there a single system where these cases are going in? Uh, what do you use for search? I don't know if you guys have a customer community or not, but we'd love to know what you guys are using. Yeah, absolutely. So for case management, we use Zendesk. This is where we handle all of our email inquiries that come from our customers. And um, along with Zendesk's email support functionality, we utilize their help center um, functionality. So it's really great because the help center is integrated into um, our email support with Zendesk since they're they're both under the same company and it creates more of a seamless experience, I say, for our support team because we have the ability of updating all of our help center content within one platform, which is Zendesk, which is great for us. We, we do not have a call center where we offer phone support and we do not offer chat support, but this is something that we are actively looking into. As far as our social media responses, we actually use Sprout Social. And with Sprout Social, we're able to aggregate all of the uh, DMs that we receive, direct messages from customers, any mentions that we receive into one platform. This is where we actively respond to any uh, user inquiries on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, which is really great for us. And I also mentioned we respond to customer inquiries via Reddit, which is, which is awesome because there was a community that naturally formed within Reddit <laughs> and Coffee Meets Bagel, which is amazing for our users because when you go onto it, you see them ask questions about new features or new functionalities that launch, and you see um, other people actually 
conversating with them and giving them tips and advice on how to use the app or what this might new feature might entail. And um, as a support team, we really love that organic kind of feel of the community. So we don't interfere too much. The only time when we do kind of step in is when a user does seem to have a technical issue or a support related concern. And with Reddit, there's actually a great functionality where you can, you know, publicly reply, but you also can direct message that user in case it does require a little more exchange of private information. And then finally, with our support, our support team also addresses concerns on the Google Play Store and the App Store, which is really important for a mobile uh, only company, especially because we get thousands of reviews from the App Store. And it's important that we are on top of these reviews and are addressing them on a daily basis, both the negative and positive reviews to ensure that we are covered on all fronts and we're listening to our users on whatever platform they choose to uh, communicate with us through. Awesome. Interesting. So is it like four tabs that a support person needs to keep track of? Like one is Zendesk, another is Sprout Social, for the third one was Reddit, and the fourth one is App Stores. Actually, for let's be five because Google Play Store is a different thing and Apple App Store is a different one. Yeah. It- yeah, so currently it is multiple tabs. Unfortunately, um, it would be amazing if these are all on a single platform because that would make our jobs much easier to be able to track these inquiries and uh, response times to everything. But at the moment, because there is no seamless integration between you know, uh, the App Store and Zendesk or the Google Play Store and Zendesk, we have to do uh, a lot of switching between these different tabs. Understood, understood. And uh, do you see any gaps besides what you just mentioned about switching in this technology stack that if you think that somebody had a solution, it'll help you do your job better? Um, so just as I mentioned, um, yeah, the biggest gap for us would just be not having everything in a single platform. Um, being able to even have open APIs is a great solution to being able to create our own custom apps to have within Zendesk. Um, for example, we try to, because we are working on hundreds of tickets daily, we try to remove any inefficiencies and it's really important to figure out where the most of the time is spent. So, Jumping from Zendesk to our own internal admin tool where we have customer information. Um, If we're doing this hundreds of times a day, it does take up a lot of time. So something that we really took advantage of that I think is great is Zendesk's um, custom apps feature where you're able to build your own internal tools that help support your customers within one platform and that was really important for me to remove anything that took too much time and try to make the agent job easier so what we went ahead and did was we took advantage of Zendesk's custom app and we within our support view we when a user does write in and we open that ticket there's the ability to see all of the customer information in the sidebar view, which just is one less tab that the agents have to uh, jump into. And um, they're able to pull all of the information, the important information that they need immediately to service that customer as soon as possible. Interesting. 
And most of the B2B companies that I speak with, you know, they have their customer information uh, and, they're, and they're in the CRM, which is mostly Salesforce. Mm-hmm. But in a B2C context, uh, what is your CRM solution today? So, and um, we, because we are a B2B company, we aren't sales oriented and we are um, kind of deals oriented, which is where the uh, Salesforce integration does come into benefit largely through there. We, um, as a support organization, we're slowly just working out of Zendesk to um, address any customer questions or concerns. And we have our internal admin tool and this admin tool actually um, when looking into customers specifically gives us all of the information we need around them from what their profile um, entails to any purchases that they've made within the product and if so was that Android or iOS and it just goes into a lot of detail to be able to surface our customers efficiently. So we primarily work out of Zendesk and our internal admin tool to surface, uh, service our company's customers. Understood, understood. Yeah, what I meant to ask was, do you use an external tool for storing your customer information? But looks like it is not. Yeah, it's an internal tool that stores information about your customers. Yes, and it's an internal tool. And um, privacy is really big for us as a dating company, as you might have guessed. So making sure that this internal tool stays internal and we have the proper security measures in place to ensure none of this information gets out is something that we actively work on as well. And which is one of the reasons why having this tool and updating it internally is really important to us. Awesome. And uh, on a related note, Brenda, what are the metrics in support that you track? And uh, you mentioned that you have uh, outsourced support as well. Um, I don't know if these metrics differ just because you have an outsourced support, uh, but could you talk about that? Yeah, so um, the metrics that we track, some of the very standard ones are first reply time, uh, customer satisfaction score, full resolution time, so how long it takes to resolve an inquiry from start to finish, average user wait time, so something we definitely look into is how long is the user waiting before they get a response. Um, We also look at customer request volume, so the number of tickets we're getting on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, as well as our ticket backlog. These metrics are really important when it comes to forecasting and figuring out um, how we need to staff up our team and which hours are we the busiest, as well um, for our team members to ensure that we are being productive and we are uh, making sure that we're addressing all customer concerns in a timely manner. We look at replies per hour, which is really helpful, especially with an outsource support team, because you can't be there with them physically. You can't kind of uh, just talk to them face to face. Being able to look at how much work they're doing per hour is important to us to ensure that we're all on the same page. Understood. And do you, is there a concept of doing NPS score with mobile apps? So our, we do do um, NPS score, but the marketing team handles that. Understood. And do you know if this NPS survey goes in app or is it over email? Um, this NPS survey is over email. 
we try not to do a lot of pop-ups in app or surveys just because we don't want to disrupt the user flow. We want them to have a seamless experience while they're in our product and something that's very enjoyable. So we want to deter as much away from that by doing what we can via email. Actually, that makes sense. But a related question here. So let's say if I'm a uh, the app user and if I filed a question, do you have a a way to reach out to me or push notifications or is it just completely over email? So as, as a user who's using Coffee Meets Bagel, we definitely advise to turn off your push notifications. This is how we communicate a lot with our users, especially if you've gotten an, uh, a new like or you have new bagels waiting in your queue. We notify you of this through a push notification. But let's say if, you, if I file a support question over email, right? and uh, maybe it's a blocker for me for something but is the only way that you can respond to that is over email or is the support team has access to push notifications to connect with the users oh so we we would um we try to leave push notifications solely for the purpose of letting you know of any updates within the app as far as if you've gotten any new connections if there's you know, if there's any action required before something expires due to whatever is going on at the moment. As a support team, we primarily interact with the user over the channel they reach out to us through. So if you reach out to us through email support, then we will support you through there. Um, we don't service our customers through push notifications. Got it. Got it. And could you share some of the best practices or innovations or some hacks that you might have implemented in your organizations, which may be sort of non-obvious and that gave you some disproportionate <laughs> ROI. Yeah, so something that has worked really well for us since integrating um, Zendesk's Help Center is a feature that they refer to as AnswerBot. And what AnswerBot does is as a user, if you go through the process and interacting with our help center and still submit a request, what will happen is you'll get the standard reply that we've received your request. But along with that, we surface a, a three relevant articles that we think could actually address your request. And this is really great because what happens is Zendesis has uses their AI functionality and picks up on obviously the words that the user is using. And as a user, you'll submit a request, receive an email response, letting you know we've received the request successfully. But here are some article recommendations that we think could help with your request. And usually what happens is when users get these recommendations, they'll click through them. And if the article may be something that they missed previously does resolve their request, they have the option to, um, within the article, mark it as resolving their request. And what this does is it deflects the tickets away from our team and solves it out. And this has been really great for us as a team that receives hundreds of tickets daily, we've actually been able to deflect around 5% of our overall ticket volume through this. And that was uh, going to be my next question <laughs> about uh, how much case deflection you get. So thank you for answering that. And this answer bot, I'm assuming, is what Zendesk provides. It's not something that you've built. Yeah, so the answer bot is something that Zendesk has provided for us. And it's it integrates, it pulls the information based off of the um, articles within the help center. So it, it, in order to utilize this um, feature, you would need to utilize their help center feature. And it's been really great for us because this 
once again, is another uh, tool that we can utilize as a support org that doesn't require us to switch over to a different tab. Got it. And Brenda, you mentioned uh, that you guys are actively looking at the live chat functionality within the app, but what are your, some other priorities uh, for the next few months in terms of what you want to do within support? Yeah, so um, something that um, we're actively looking into as a support organization is figuring out why customers leave uh, dissatisfied ratings and being able to differentiate between if it's a, a product shortcoming or if it's a negative experience they've had with the agent or if they their issue was not resolved is something that's really important to us. So whenever a customer does leave a negative rating, we actually do have a drop down to get more uh, context into why that might be. And after doing a deep dive, we realized that there are opportunities for us to be more proactive about the support we provide to our users. And um, this kind of ties around the surprise and delight initiatives that is pretty common in the support world. So being able to, instead of being reactive to users reaching out to you about a negative experience, being able to use the data that you have and proactively reach out to them, acknowledge that you know uh, they may have not had the best experience in regards to a specific part of the app. And we, we take full ownership of that. And as a result, we want to help ensure they're successful and um, delight them with some sort of offering that we think could be beneficial for them to use. So that's something that we are definitely going to focus on over the next six months is implementing, finding these opportunities to surprise our users and delight them and hopefully keep them for the long run as an we do hope this will also reduce user churn and make someone our advocate, make someone a promoter and help us with the organic growth that we've already uh, received countless times. Understood, understood. And uh, Brenda, now, now changing gears a little bit, uh, where do you think is the most uh, white space around innovation and customer support? And, and this could be in both B2C or B2B uh, situations. Yeah, I, I definitely think the next, I think we're headed there and it's in terms of AI. I don't think we're fully there. We might be 20% of where we can be and I'm excited to see um, all of the innovation that comes from it. I do get uh, countless emails on a weekly basis of new support tools that have released and are AI integrated. And I think there is a lot of opportunity there. And I'm excited to see where that continues to head just because I don't think it's there today, but there is progress being made. Understood. Uh, did you respond to any of those emails? <laughs> 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 just, just kidding. Um, but uh, you talked about there's something I want to focus on. You talked about this live chat feature, and you also talked about going from reactive to proactive support, like delighting your users. Uh, are there any external tools you're using for this, or is this an effort that is being done internally? So. 
as far as being proactive um, in regards to reaching out to our users, we would do this internally through the tools that we have today. When it comes to figuring out which users to reach out to and which ones have been affected by specific issues, that's something that we would work with our, our data analytics team to figure out. And obviously they would use their own tools such as Mode to figure out that information. Understood. And so follow-up question here, does support people have access to these data analytics tool or they, they feed in queries to, to this team and they come up with answers? Yeah, so our support team does have access to these graphs, these reports, these tools, and I think it's really important for us to actually actively look at them and kind of understand how big a problem might really be. And as a support org in general, I think it's really important to work cross-functionally with various teams, whether it's engineering, whether it's marketing, or whether it's analytics, and being able to articulate what it is that you're looking for and work with them to ensure that the output of, of the team is exactly what you need to successfully support your customer. I think that's really, it's beneficial for uh, the business as a whole. Got it. And uh, Britta, the second last question actually, what is your advice to a CEO or, or support leaders who might be listening to this podcast on how to differentiate using support? Like how can they have support as a lever which differentiates and not only just their product? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important for every CEO to make sure that they do have someone who is focused on the customer and is very obsessed with the customer and they take on the role of being the voice because there are the ones that are dealing with the customer issues. They uh, use most of the time when the customer does run into some sort of um, issue where they have a question or concern, they reach out to support. So you are on the front lines and it's important to be able to translate that to the rest of the company to ensure that the product that you are building is for the customer and it's customer focused because this is what kind of drove the business to begin with. So it's really, it's a great to, um, it's important to use customer experience as a wedge to separate yourself from the competition. Um, and it's also not only uh, viewing these customer questions or concerns, we shouldn't just view them as a complaint, but more as an opportunity to show your great service and figure out the root cause of what, may, what might be causing this um, frustration with your product and service. We want to be able to use customer service as your best competitive advantage, which will naturally increase customer retention and profits. It's, it's pretty well known that answering customer complaints actually increases customer advocacy regardless of the channel or type. Being able to embrace these complaints and the short term and long term will be have these naturally create these customer advocates for you if they have a great experience with your support team and it does yield real financial impact along the way. A great metric that I like to uh, hone into is a customer, a successful customer service recovery actually can have 20 times the impact as um, regular advertising. So I know other companies such as Zappos, for, or Zappos, for example, uses 
customer service as an extension of their marketing because when you're able to take someone who might have been a detractor and create them into a promoter, you get a lot of organic growth from that because they're singing your praises and they're just talking about how great of an experience that they had with your product. No, you you're spot on on the on having your customers as your promoters. Uh, there's a little anecdote. You know, I was at a conference and I used to work for an enterprise company, and I was manning the booth. So, a customer came along and says, "Give me the demo of your product." And I was demoing, and this another customer comes up, and he was an existing customer. Now he starts actually demoing the product because he was so crazy about the product uh, that he was using. It's like you guys have built something so well. And he ended up giving the demo and not me. And I was just watching it. And uh, there is some magic when somebody who you don't know is, is just heaping praise on what you have built. So that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually uh, makes me just want to talk on another point around that. We don't have a community um, feature today, but this is something that down the road I would like to look into just because I do see how beneficial um, our Reddit community is and just how people love helping each other, especially when they feel so passionate about the product. So in order to have a successful community, you obviously have to have these people who are willing and able to address any questions and really actively be part, uh, participate in the process of doing so. So, right. uh, this is definitely something that I want to look into in the future as well. Got it. And, and I, I just thought about this in, in B2B context, you know, most of this, because your customers are a few thousand, most of the support people get an opportunity to talk to the customers live, you know, either meeting in person or having a phone conversation. But in B2C context, because you have millions of <laughs> customers, do you yourself get a chance to talk either live or over the phone uh, through these actual customers? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely, I think empathizing with the customer and understanding with the customer does involve just talking to them sometimes and hopping on a phone call or maybe even a video call to understand why they were so frustrated with a certain functionality and really putting yourself in their shoes and looking at it from their perspective to build a better product will, I think it will reap so many benefits from it. Got it. And Reda, the, the last question uh, for today's podcast, uh, could you share some of your, or one of your favorite business books and, and why did you like it? Yeah, so I'll actually go ahead and share uh, three of my favorite business books and kind of give a little more context into why I think they are great reads. Um, the first is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And this is more tied to like the psychology of the human brain and why we make the decisions that we do. Um, this focuses on kind of two systems in your brain, one where you make decisions quickly, almost automatically or instinctively, while system two is more around the slow thinking, which involves more complex and it might be more mentally draining. And uh, it's really great because it talks about how these systems are constantly fighting over control of your behavior behavior and access, um, actions and really teaches you the many ways which these decisions based off of the various systems can lead to errors in memory, judgment, decisions, and what you can do to actively be aware of this and how you can kind of change the decisions moving forward. The second book that 
I think is really great for anyone in the B2C space is called Hug Your Haters by Jay Bayer. And what this book goes, does a really good job of going into is talking about the differences between what they refer to as offstage and onstage haters. Onstage haters are those users that might be um, complaining publicly over Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media channel they may choose and how to address those uh, concerns publicly, ensuring that you are resolving their uh, questions. So it is um, on this public plat platform. So it actually is beneficial for any users that might have had the same question on the same platform. They can actually just pull the answer from there. While offstage is just how you address customers and concerns in a private manner via email and kind of the expectations that come with that. Um, and uh, for any B2C companies out there, if you aren't doing social media support, this is definitely something I would recommend just because of the masses that go on social media and um, wanna interact with business, businesses on there. And then finally, third book that I'll talk about is Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lichoni. And this book was is really great when it comes to uh, teams and understanding what is the foundation of a great team and what can lead to success and help you achieve your goals in the long run. And it really does great jobs of talking, not so much just about trust, but how being vulnerable in the workplace is something that is important to uh, make sure that you're both kind of, you're as a team, you're all um, aligned and you're working towards common goals and you trust each other. You trust that people have the best interests in mind and there's no artificial harmony and you, you are mining for conflict, but you're mining for conflict to make sure that everyone is on the same page and you're addressing all questions and concerns to ultimately um, be able to succeed as a team. Wow, these are three very different books and thank you for sharing the context. Uh, this definitely helps. Brenda, thank you so much for your time today. I really loved the things that you're doing at Coffee Meets Bagel and I like the part that you know you have so much volume of the tickets, which is typical for a B2C business, but the things that you're doing to to help reduce that volume. So once again, thank you for your time today, Brenda. Thank you so much, Sandeep, for having me. And I really enjoyed being able to share some insights that how we run support at Coffee Meets Bagel. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing of the other guests that you have moving forward as well.